Hello, everybody. This is Rob Fredette with the podcast Hodgepot, and I have a real special guest on my episode today. And I have Professor T. Love on, and she is the host of the podcast A Bowl of Soul, a mixed stew of soul music. It is a tremendous podcast, and you can hear it on Apple and probably other platforms, but I'll let her explain that. But first of all, Professor T. Love, welcome to my podcast. I cannot wait to talk music with you tonight. Well, thank you for having me, Rob. Um, it's an extreme pleasure to be on your show. First of all, I always like to find out, how did you come up with the title of the podcast and how did you get to the part where you play the songs? And one thing I really like about your podcast is you give some historical uh, perspective or historical insight into the performers, the artists. So how would you? How do you go about getting, first of all, your podcast going? Well, the concept of a bowl of soul came up, you know, growing up as a child, you know, I listened to all types of music. And a lot of times you inherit music that your parents listen to. So my parents are both from the doo-wop and jazz era, as mm -hmm. well as Motown. So a lot of the records, those 78s, the, the Cuban jam session, yep. uh, those type of records were in my house. So I had the pleasure of just going through it myself, playing these records and listening to them. And, you know, and also my father, he's a, he's a big jazz buff. So a lot of his records were mostly like Miles Davis, John Coltrane. You might have some Dizzy Gillespie as well, or McCoy Tyner. So uh, Walter Wandley as well. So a lot of those records, Brazilian jazz, I heard those records in my house. And then also my mother, she's from the doo-wop era. So she remembers Frankie Lyman and the teenagers and all these local groups mm -hmm. that used to perform at the Apollo Theater. So we also had those records. So my father was in that era as well. So my thing was I got curious about this music that they was listening to. And I started playing those same records. Uh -huh. And acquiring a taste for different types of music, whether it's, you know, salsa, because, you know, that was also their era was also the, the era of the mambo and the cha-cha-cha. So, you know, if you living in, in the Bronx, we had a lot of dance halls and a lot of your Cuban or Puerto Rican musicians were performed at these local dance halls. So, you know, you, you, we had that mix in the house. And then mm -hmm. as well as the Motown and, you know, my father, he's from the South. He was born in South Carolina. So I also got exposed to Southern Southern soul and blues music as well. So a bowl of soul really is a mix of all of those things, because those that's the type of music that I heard. I also heard rock in my house because my father had Rolling Stones records. Yeah, so, Rolling Stones. Oh, yes. Yes. He going way back. He was buying Rolling Stones records. So. I got a chance to know about the Rolling Stones as well as the Rascals. So, you know, <laughs> you know, growing up here in New York City, you know, you had those radio stations really played everything. It was you, right. you heard rock or especially on the AM stations. And we have to give a big a big shout out to AM because it was on AM radio stations. You know, FM didn't come until much later, but it was on those AM stations that broke out these records. And also there are certain DJs that I listened to that were DJs also from the past, like Hal Jackson, uh, Frankie Crocker was a, was a WMCA guy 
before he became an R&B guy on WWRL and also on WBLS. So a lot of these DJs had an impact. They were generational mm -hmm. because it, these, these DJs came from my parents' time, but they also were DJs in my time as well. So with Frankie Crocker, to me, he's like my biggest idol because of the fact that Frankie Crocker, he played everything. He would play Johnny Hartman and then jump to playing Sugar Hill Gang. So, nice. and also playing Blondie, playing David Bowie, playing Elton John, but then throwing in Stevie Wonder, throwing in Cool in the Gang and, and all of that mixed together. So to me, that's what, where I came up with the idea of a bowl of soul, a mixed stew of soul music, because to me, it's a big stew. It's well, a big stew of music. <laughs> I, I, I love the podcast. Uh, I've learned a lot. I love the way you talk about the historicals, about the song. I also mm -hmm. love the way you talk about influences on other performers that we hear today, which I find fascinating in any genre, the influences and also the, what I call, I like to call the homage back to prior, the respect and the influence mm -hmm. that these bands have today. They give to the groups back, way back when, and the artists, it's, it's quite fascinating how these different genres Mm -hmm. and cross over and play a sample of something from way back when but yeah I just love the podcast Thank the you. one episode that really stuck with me since I'm here in Memphis is that you had the southern soul one I felt like I was on Beale Street when I was listening to your podcast <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard of Beale Street Blues I've, I've listened to them actually I had wanted to put them on the on the radio network as well because I feel like there's still that connection um, to Memphis, a uh, Memphis blues and, and Southern soul. So, yeah. When you have your uh, podcast, how long does it take to get to, to get to put the production and get it going and get it? It, it seems as it might seem, it doesn't seem easy, I would think, because I used to work in radio years ago and it's not mm -hmm. easy to do any production, but what's it like getting that episode out and how long, how much time do you have to put into it? Well, for me, it's, it's what I'm thinking about. Um, what I think I want to focus on and sometimes it, it can come as a whim, actually, um, depending on how I'm feeling, what I'm, what I'm focusing on. Sometimes it might be related to maybe um, the Grammys coming up or it might be related to a milestone mm -hmm. in terms of a recording history. Like, for instance, um, I wanted to focus on the Beatles. But what I did was I focused on Stax artists playing Beatles music. Mm -hmm. So to me, that that showed that there was there was a direct connection and the influence of the Beatles as well on R&B music, because some R&B artists did cover Beatles, Beatles songs. And I wanted to celebrate at the time, I think it was the 50th anniversary of the Beatles coming to the United States um, in 1964. And um, I wanted to celebrate that, but I wanted to celebrate it in an R&B style. So I played artists that that did some of their songs from Memphis. I also played some Motown. Well, artists like Smokey Robinson, he did Yesterday. And he did it off of the special occasion album from 1968. So I wanted to, to, to merge those things together. So sometimes it can be, come off of an anniversary of an artist and talk about, okay, how did that artist or how did their music influence R&B? And um, a lot of times it does take time to kind of put that together because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think about, okay, what artists do I want to cover? Like I recently did a show on the Isley Brothers and a lot of people, um, especially on the R&B side, I don't feel a lot of people know the history of the Isley Brothers 
because when they started out <clears throat> and they started out in the fifties and they basically their, their um, history covers 60 years. So mm -hmm. you're going from shout to in between the sheets and, and, and Mr. Big with R Kelly, you know, but really they don't know how the, the Isley brothers progressed and how then they became part of Motown for a little bit. And then since the focus, you know, with Motown was not as much as with Dinah Ross, with the Supremes and the Four Tops and the Temptations, those were like the staple artists. The Isley Brothers didn't get that attention. So really, I wanted to celebrate, first of all, you know, one of the Isley Brothers passed away. So I thought it would have been ideal to put a show together to understand the history of the Isley Brothers because they affected not only R&B, but they affected rock. And they also affected folk music because they did folk music too with an R&B feel on it. And they they had an impact as well. They still stayed with their R&B roots and they had a stellar like uh, longevity run in the 70s as a band. Mm -hmm. And they came out with platinum, platinum albums. So sometimes it comes off of that concept. Maybe someone has passed away or I'm making a connection between TLC and the Supremes and Destiny's Child because again, and the Chantels, because really yeah. that girl group sound still is, you don't see really too many girl groups now because you know you don't really see that as much, but I wanted to show the connection and the legacy from the 50s on down to the 90s and the 2000s with that. So sometimes it can come off of the correlation or it could be someone's death or it could be that we're celebrating, like, for instance, the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Um, I did a couple of shows on that as well, because hip hop, you know, especially coming from where I live, I live in the Bronx, New York. Mm -hmm. um, hip hop is is re was really started here, but it branched out to the whole world. So I wanted to definitely show people how hip hop started up into where it is today. So sometimes it comes off of that. I listened to that episode about the Isley Brothers, and I it was an excellent episode. And the Footsteps in the Dark song that they sang, I said, who sings that? I've heard that before. Yes. So I was like, and I, and I, I think um, I think I'm well-versed in music, not to your extent, but I think I, I can get certain, I, I understand it. I know, you know, rock and roll is my thing and, you know, pop, yeah. 80s pop. It was, it was a good day by Ice Cube, 1992. And oh, I did yes. some research. I like doing research. Yes, episodes. yes, yes. That song has been sampled 11 times. Oh, yes. Over the course of the time. That's the right. One was Usher. And I heard the song today by Usher. And it's like that sound, it just sucks you in that song. Yes, it does. And what I like about that, and a lot of people have beat up hip hop for the sampling. Um, and I understand about, you know, the licensing that is important when you are borrowing from somebody's music. But the thing that I can say about hip hop, it makes you want to find that record and research that record and possibly purchase it for yourself. Now, you notice that um, during the Country Music Awards, they gave Tracy Chapman, finally, they they basically honored her for her for song, song, Fast yeah. Car, right? Now, that song, Fast Car, was used by this group called Nice and Smooth. And this was a rap record in 19, I think it was 1994, 95. Mm -hmm. And it was in, that sample was in that record. I think Tracy Chapman might have sued them for it. But, <laughs> but the point of the matter is we heard Fast Car in hip hop, right? You hear LL Cool J, right? He did this song called Who Do You Love? 
with Total, but that song is from Bernard Wright. Mm -hmm. And Bernard Wright, that song was very popular on R&B, on the R&B charts, you know, coming from, I think it was in the 80s, um, Who Do You Love? So, and he was an accomplished musician. In fact, I think he passed away. I don't know if it's, I think he passed away this year, but that song was very influential. Who do you love? You know, so there are a lot of songs that you sampling, like, in fact, Salt and Pepper had this song, and this is going back to the late, I think the late eighties and nineties called Tramp. They used the exact Tramp, Otis Redding, Carla Thomas, and they incorporated it in their song. Okay. And and to this day, I still love the song, but they rap lyrics pertaining to what a trap is. You know what I'm saying? So again, it's going along with the genre. Of course, the original song dealt with the same issue. So they did a hip hop rap based <laughs> on tramp. You know what I'm saying? So there are a lot of songs that have been sampled. In fact, Kanye West got this song called Spaceship. And mm -hmm. he sampled Distant Lover from Marvin Gaye. So when you hear it, because one thing about Kanye, he's the king of that. He knows how to take samples and incorporate them in his song. And they and they sound, they sound beautiful. You know what I'm saying? So that's, you know, that's one of the things. And that's what I like about hip hop was hip hop. Like, you know what? I, I want to find that record because, you know, when I was coming up, you know, here in the Bronx, we used to DJ and we used to DJ on the streets. And a lot of the history of hip hop started where you have a DJ and he finds break beats or he finds rhythms in other records and old records. And it could be rock records. They could be jazz records. It could be old soul records, whatever. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you would be mixing that, you know? So that's where that concept comes from. You know, you mix these records. And then when it's time for the, the master of ceremonies, the MC comes in, does his toast on top of that. So a lot of times what hip hop did was it did borrow from all these different genres of music. If you listen to Busta Rhymes, he used the he used um he used the song, I think it's uh is it um his last name is Herman. It's it's from Alfred Hitchcock. I don't know if it was from Psycho. Mm -hmm. He used a, a classical <laughs> song from I think Bernard Herman or something like that. And um give me some more. And the way he incorporated that violin track is serious, <laughs> you know? So you were like, what is that? Because it is mesmerizing. It's, it's like hypnotizing, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. yeah. So it makes you want to find out where these records come from. So you <laughs> talk about sampling. Van Halen's my all-time favorite rock band. Oh, yeah. I love everything about them. I love, yeah. I don't call them Van Halen or Van Hagar. I call them Van Halen because they're two <laughs> separate singers. I don't like that that analogy, but that's yeah. okay. So they did a song, they did a cover of Dancing in the Streets by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas oh, yeah. in yeah. 1982. It was their uh -huh. Diver Down album, and they did like five covers in that uh -huh. album. And that song from Martha Reeves and the Vandellas was 1964. That's right. And that song that they did, Eddie Van Halen with the guitar, just absolutely just brought uh -huh. that song to a new level. But yes. I don't think it disrespected, it paid homage to the to the group because they had a lot of room. Oh, yeah with that but i don't know if you've ever heard that version of it with eddie van halen with the guitar it's just insane and then i, I like actually i like that song i like the way they did that i yeah. like the way they did dance i thought they were they very put respectful their own spin on it because their the uh -huh. background vocals for van halen was incredible i mean michael anthony uh -huh. van halen 
But then also Mick yes. Jagger and David Bowie did another uh, cover in the mid-80s. And then the Mamas and Papas did one, too. I, while doing research, you know, find out something new today. The Mamas and Papas did a, a cover for that as well. But mm-hmm. it just goes to show you that rock can, can take from Motown and give it a different twist. What do you think about that? Well, I, you know, I'm in agreement with you. One, I like the Mamas and the Papas because I always like I like them and I like the Beach Boys because they had great they had great harmony. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mamas and the Papas did a song that was done by the Shirelles. This is dedicated to the one I love. And the way that they sang that was beautiful. They took a pop R&B song and they put their own flavor on it. And then the Temprees, who were on Stax Records, did their own version of This Is Dead. And then they just took it to another stratosphere <laughs> with the falsetto and the harmonies. You know, so I, you know, I love, especially with um, the Rolling Stones, you know, the Rolling Stones, they, they had an impact on R&B as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, um, they did their, if you listen to Rolling Stones, do their version of Marvin Gaye's Hitchhike. I will you have to listen to, to it. Yes. You got to check that out. That's one of my, that, in fact, that's on, that's on my little music, uh, my music phone. I, I turned a, I turned a smartphone into a music device. And if you listen to them, and also they did a a song by Don Covey, That's How Strong My Love Is, which is already a a known R&B song. And and the way Mick Jagger said, he sang his heart out, you on that, you know. So I got love for Mick Jagger because, you know, Mick Jagger, you know, they they, they have no doubt about saying that they were influenced by blues. You know, they've always said that. You know, and I believe they got the name of the group from I think Muddy one of Muddy Waters songs, and call <laughs> themselves the Rolling Stones. You yep. understand? So you know, I got love for the Rolling Stones. Um, you know, um, because I think they're really a, a a gritty. If they weren't a gritty rock group, they'd be a gritty blues and R&B band. Yeah, but I do. think they're they're all of that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, you know, when you hear the Stones, like in the 60s and 70s, you definitely mm-hmm. hear some songs yeah. um, that are definitely have a blues. The guitar sounds different, you know, the, the, yes. the guitar for me. I heard one today off of Sticky Fingers. Can you hear me knocking? There you go. That was, that was yeah. the guitar that had a nice grainy guitar. Yes. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was incredible. But yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> that they they take from different genres. I think when they sample, I think it's pretty neat. And uh, what's good mm. now today, we can just ha- pull up our phone. You said you mentioned your phone. My phone is, is all a music. You can pull up. I don't <laughs> yeah. really talk on it. it's music and podcast. Yeah. That, that's what I have. I, it just has nothing but podcast. And if I'm fine, and if I hear a song, there's this uh, station called uh whiskey soul on live 365 and they play, 45s that I have never heard of or flip side, B sides. I'm like, okay, I got to find these records, you know? Um, And that just tells you the amount of music that's out there that a lot of people don't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep. Look at the Beatles earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I The first song I remember when I was like three years old was Yellow Submarine. That's the earliest song I remember because I remember the cartoon on TV, the Yellow Submarine or the oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Uh-huh. I, I remember that. But uh, I mean, the, the Beatles had a lot of influence as well with. Yeah, they they and also the Beatles were big Motown fans. Um, and in fact, when when Motown, which which they say was a failed uh, tour, 
they said it was a fail, but I think they came out there when uh, Dusty Springfield, who was also big on Motown and had introduced them um, on Steady Ready Go, um, mm -hmm. you know, their show out there. Um, and that was to give Motown some publicity. But, um, you know, the Beatles were big on Motown. In fact, you know, when they did their little version of Money, That's What I Want. And mm -hmm. then then also they did Twist and Shout. You know, they did the Isley yes. Brothers. You know, they did their version. And, and you know, I saw a documentary about Little Richard. And Little Richard met them, you know. And this was before they became very popular. Because, you know, Little Richard was touring over there in England in, in the 60s or early 60s. And, you know, he didn't think nothing of them in a sense, he said, but a lot of when you hear them doing the woos, when they hit when you hear them do the woos, I said, okay, that's that's little Richard. You know, so they were, yeah, when you had woo, you know, I said, okay, now I know the connection now, you know. But um they were big on Motown. And I know when uh when they did their first concert here in New York in Shea Stadium. Um, they had uh, Brenda Holloway, who was a Motown artist, opening for them. So they were very uh, big on Motown. And when Motown came to England, that was like a big deal. And 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 it just and I think that's what also helped Motown to have worldwide appeal when mm -hmm. they went to England. Fascinating. It's amazing how all these genres all cross paths or build off of each other and they just pretty much popular like the Beatles when they came over here that you mentioned Chase Stadium you can you can't even hear the music I mean you just hear no screaming and that's the right officers didn't look they just went bananas on the field yeah because once they were on Ed Sullivan that was it and then after Ed Sullivan then they did Chase Stadium <laughs> and then they just went bananas you understand what I'm saying so it took that introduction on um Ed Sullivan to propel them because one thing that's fascinating and, and I want you to, if you get a chance, I want you to check out the story of VJ records because the Capitol records initially passed on the Beatles. Wow. They didn't think nothing of them yet, but when VJ records, which was based in Chicago and was owned um, by um, uh, her name is Vivian Carter. I believe it's Vivian Carter. Vivian was a black owned label and they were the first to sign the Beatles to their label. But the problem with that, and this is when they were starting to become defunct um, and towards the mid-60s, the mid when the Beatles caught on, Capitol started raising their ears again. But the problem with VJ was is that they didn't have, they weren't able to handle the distribution of those records. Once the Beatles caught on, they couldn't handle it. And in those days, if you didn't have good distribution, you were sunk, okay? And and basically you had to have a distribution arm that would put out these records as quick as these people catch on, you had to put those records out. And they really couldn't handle that. And really they lost the Beatles that way. Wow. They did, you That's know what I'm saying? So so yeah, and and then also they owned, they also had the Four Seasons on VJ. They were on VJ records as well. But I want you to check out, the story of VJ Records because VJ Records was the was the first black independent record label before Motown. Wow. Well, there's so much to discuss. You mentioned yeah. Dusty Springfield. <laughs> yes. She Dusty Springfield, she was, you know, she had got been out of music for a while. And then in mm -hmm. the mid-80s, the Pet Shop Boys begged her to come on to their album 
uh, what have I done to deserve this? And she was reluctant yes. to do it. And she came out and did it. And it was a smash hit in 1986 and 87. And, it was, yes. and she is so, when you look back, she was so glad she did it because they were so excited when she jumped on. They uh, Pet Shop Boys literally begged her to come yeah. on to that song. Yeah. And one thing you have to check out about, I have a lot of respect for Dusty Springfield because not only was she an avid fan of R&B, um, she embraced R&B, especially in English. She embraced it wholeheartedly, but she also did some, um, she did some muscle shows uh, when she did Son of a Preacher Man. I believe that was done in Muscle Shoals Studio mm -hmm. in Alabama, but she also did some R&B sides with Gamble and Huff. And um, those sides, um, Brand New Me, that was a Jerry Butler song. She did some really classic soul R&B with Gamble and Huff, who later became the owners of Philadelphia International Records. So she also helped to usher in the Philly soul sound as well. Hmm. So you mentioned uh, Philly soul. There's a lot of soul. Is there different parts of the country where soul sounds different? Uh, I know we're getting, we went off on a tangent here, but what about the soul? Is it different like here in the South than say like up North or in the Midwest? It most definitely is. If you, if you notice and um, when listening to music in, in um, you know, in, in the fifties and sixties, you were able to distinguish where music came from. Now Detroit had their own sound. They really did. Um, and, and not only just Motown, but Detroit had their own sound. There were other labels other than Motown, like Rick Tick, Golden World, um, those type of those type of labels. Uh, they had they had their own sound, and you could tell that that was a Detroit soul sound. Now in the North, we had our own sound. We we were very we were very string arrangement production heavy. But if you listen to songs that came out of Scepter Records with Florence Greenberg which was the label that Dionne Warwick was on and other records that came out of New York City, especially like Tommy James and the Shondells. Mm -hmm. They came off of Roulette Records, which was based right here in New York City. And if you listen to some of the doo-wop records that came out of New York City, they had that New York City sound. And when I say New York City sound, a lot of the writers, songwriters came out of the Brill Building, which is in downtown Manhattan on 50th Street where you had Ellie Greenwich, even Phil Spector, um, 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 is it John Barry, Cynthia Barry. Um, you had a lot of them that were producing records, even Lieber and Stoller, um, who were on Atlantic Records, were producing records for the Drifters and the Coasters and stuff like that. So New York had their own type of sound, whereas Florida, Florida had, especially with Soul, Florida had their own uh, sound. If you check out a documentary um, about, uh, it's called Deep Soul Records, um, about the Miami sound, um, the Black Miami sound, and a lot of the artists that came out of there, like Betty Wright, um, you know, you can check out, um, you can check out those, that documentary as well to see that they had their own Southern soul sound, which was mixed with Bahamian music. It had, because, you know, Miami is a cross culture of Cuban, mm -hmm. Bahamian, um, other cultures mixed together. Um, and they can, then you can hear the sound, the big band, big marching band sound too. Mm -hmm. and, and, and also, you know, of course, Memphis. Memphis also had their own sound. You know, Memphis is known for a lot of the rhythm section, especially horns. 
You had the Memphis horns as its own yes, sound. Yes, that's right. You better believe it. And some of those horn players came from schools where they learned that instrumentation of horns. There's a book called The Chitlin Circuit. Yes, they talk about that. You know, and also when you listen to Al Green and and um, Ann Peebles um, coming out of that, oh, um, um, Otis Clay, all of these people that came out of that region, you heard they had a different sound. They had a like a like a like a, a, a cooker, you know, like a similar cooker type sound where you know they use a lot of organs, the horns. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? So Memphis had their own sound as well. And when you listen to California, the record labels, Aladdin Records, all those record labels, San Francisco on down. And there's, there's a like a lost history about black soul music in San Francisco, but it existed. They had record labels out there. So then you could tell what was a West Coast sound, mm -hmm. what was Midwestern, right? When the Midwestern, including Michigan, right? And then you knew what a, a Southern soul sound was and you knew what a Northern sound was. Interesting. Yeah, the Memphis horns, you know that Memphis sound when you hear it, it's, mm -hmm. it's so distinct. And it while is. we're in Memphis, Memphis also is known for the Stax uh, record label. Oh, yeah. Today, and uh, quite a few artists came out of there as well, like uh, Isaac Hayes and you, you got Isaac singers, Hayes, Rufus Carla, Thomas, Carla Thomas, yep, right? And Rufus Thomas, right? You had the Temprees, right? The Mad Lads, right? You also had the Bar K's, mm -hmm. right? Otis Redding is part of that. Even though he was on Atlantic Records, his music was produced produced in Memphis, okay? And he used the Bar K's as his backing band. And as you know, some of the members of the Bar K's were killed with him mm -hmm. um, in that plane crash. So, you know, um, Isaac Hayes, right? You, you, there's, a, there's, there's a numerous artists um, that came, that was um, the, the gentleman he died. He was a gospel singer as well. Um, that was on there as well. So you know the the stack sound to me was I don't know if it was an accident because from what I understand from the is history of stacks, it really was trying to be a country and western western label. <laughs> that was the goal. <laughs> But it didn't happen that way, right? Nope. <laughs> but that's all right. Accidents happen, you know, good accidents happen. And the fact that uh, Mr. Stewart, um, you know, the, the fact that he, you know, wanted to, he had this label where he brought people of color together to play with Booker T and the MGs, everybody together, making some great music coming out of that that part of the country. Um, and, and, you know, it was a different sound, Johnny Taylor, you know what I'm saying? I grew up listening to Johnny Taylor, you know, um, that type of thing. And th these are, these are music that has, that's had, had an impact, still has an impact even on, on, on Northern, Northern people too. We heard those records as mm -hmm. well. And these yeah. were records that were played nationwide. I went to the uh, Stax Museum with my wife last year. It was, nice. it was pretty neat. Just the history and the, yes. The, the 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 records and just mm -hmm. the, the chronological history of it was fascinating and it just it shows like it, it what Memphis here in Memphis you had the Stax Museum and then we also have Sun Records another vibe yes. back in the day obviously yes. Sun Records is was huge as well that's right um, so I think that's where BB King he was on Sun Records 
B.B. Yeah, King, and it, I have something on B.B. King, you know, back in the late 80s, he did a, a song with U2, the, who was U2 at the yes. time, was the, the hottest rock group in the world. Yes. And uh, When Love Comes to Town. Yes, I played I that. I watched that video today. <laughs> I hadn't seen it in a while, but I watched yeah. it two or three times, getting uh -huh. ready for today. And B.B. King, I'll tell you what, those guys were just like in awe of B.B. King when they were yes. in Stun Studios recording because they actually recorded the song in Stun Studios. And, oh, nice. Uh, what was really cool about it was um, the homage that they paid to B.B. King. But yet when they did the video inside, you could see like in the little corners there, Elvis Presley and the Million Dollar mm. Quartet. I thought that was really, it was really done well. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, it's because um, I remember I, I was in a rock band for about about eight years, and we played "When Love Comes to Town," and um, it's it's a great song to play, you know what I'm saying? And the wailing and stuff like that, I liked it. I liked it very much. I I, I don't know, it was a different song for us to play, but it was a good song to play. Oh yeah, and you right know, BB King, he was. Uh, I mean, just the fact that he went on with U two, just that U two would, you know, they really wanted him for that song. Yes. And I thought yes. that was, uh, I thought that was pretty. I think that's I really awesome. enjoyed that. If you haven't seen the video, you need to see it because they have shot the Memphis. <laughs> yes, um, it's pretty cool. So all right, yes, I, I like that. You know, I like when they have these collab collaborations. But what I find is that a lot of the rock artists they do, um, they will pay homage uh, to the folks that influenced them, and have them. You know, even when the Rolling Stones had um, Peter Tosh, when Mick Jagger was singing with Peter Tosh. Um, on one of their records from back in the day, I, I I like that because they they really do acknowledge those artists that that helped them propel them too. Yeah, and you know, uh, also I knew that uh, Aretha Franklin lived in Memphis here in Memphis. She lived at four hundred six Lucy Avenue, I believe. Wow. And then Tita Turner was born in Brownsville, Tennessee, just east of here. And then mm -hmm. Ice Hayes was from Covington, Tennessee. And it's that's like that's right. You hear all these names, it's like, whoa, because I heard a podcast of yours where you played a really old song of Aretha Franklin playing the piano. Yes. It was like, it was like, wow. I mean, yes. she put her heart and soul into that song. <laughs> well, you know, I believe she was born in, in Memphis, mm -hmm. um, from what I understand. And, you know, I think that's where her, you know, her mother and father, you know, they lived initially. Um, they had moved there or whatever. But you know, you you know, there's no doubt in my mind that Aretha has Southern roots, you know, and you you heard that in her music, you know. She, even though she she moved to D Detroit, you understand. But a lot of Detroiters are from the South, so a lot of, a lot of them are from the <laughs> South anyway. You know what I'm saying? Now, even some of my relatives have moved to moved to Detroit to work at the the car plants and stuff. But you hear the, you hear her roots, you know, Isaac Hayes. You know, I, I get astonished with Isaac Hayes because, you know, Isaac Hayes, he could play a mean saxophone. I saw a video. They, 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 it was a documentary where they filmed them at Stack Studios. And I think it was like 68, 69. They were working on one of the emotions record, um, uh, because I love you or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he was teaching the horn section how to play on that song. <laughs> and he was playing a big old, baritone saxophone okay i so so from what i understand and he was and he was self-taught because he could play piano and he could play horns you know 
but but Isaac Hayes, he always amazes me because when he, you know, you know, the depth of some of his records, and, and we, you know, I've had all his Black Moses, you know, um, the song uh, Hyperbolic, Cespicatalistic, uh, when he was doing his little, you know, um, thing with the psychedelic soul, you know, and Shaft, you know, and how he's a great arranger. A lot of people don't give Isaac Hayes credit for arrangements. He's a good arranger, excellent arranger. You he's know, he knows, he, it's like his ears know what should be there, what should be over here. And they don't give him credit for that. I mean, he's a songwriter, but he, has, he was an excellent arranger. You know, yeah, he, very excellent. That was range. awesome. Shaft, yes. you know, for that it, album was killer. The whole album yeah. was killer. And was he killer. won an Academy Award, if I'm not mistaken, for yes, that. Yes, he did. That is incredible. Yes, that was 1971. That's right. And 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 I'm gonna tell you, that was when he came out with Shaft, that was it. We were done. You know what I'm saying? And then more albums after that that he did. Black that Black Moses thing was was the persona itself was was overpowering but then it came with the talent with the music the backup singers you know he, to me he really took stacks to another level um and, and because i know after otis redding there was a low they said there was a low because they because because you know otis was their biggest artist mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying but after he died <clears throat> kind of stacks kind of had a low there because of the loss but then they came right back they came right back. And then, yeah. you know, it was, you know, Isaac Hayes taking them into the stratosphere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Isaac Hayes, uh, he used to go to Grizzlies when the Memphis Grizzlies moved here from Vancouver. He used to be, he was known to go to Grizzlies games. He had season tickets. Yes. And then, uh, I believe he also did like a radio show here at 1035, I believe. He used to do oh, a radio yeah. show, uh, I guess maybe once a week or something like that. Uh -huh. I thought he that was, was popular in New York. He did a radio show. He was on really? 98. Yeah, 98.7 Kiss. They hired him <laughs> to work up here and he would do the morning shows and it, and it wow. was fabulous. It was fabulous having um, Ike, you know, do radio here. And you know what? He Remember him in South Park? <laughs> yes. Chef, yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But his his um, his um son is doing some tremendous things with fan base and um, making that a new social, it's a new social media platform. So his son is doing some really fabulous stuff you know, with, with social media and taking it to another level, you know, but, um, but Isaac definitely, his music is, is iconic and his music has been sampled. Uh, you know, a lot of groups have sampled, hip hop groups have sampled Isaac Hayes. So, you know, because of that funk, that groove that, you know, it's just still killer, still killer to this day. Yeah. You know, what's great about music too, is like when the artists or groups are long gone, you can still listen to it. Like if it was yes. yesterday, that's what, that's what I really like about like, you mentioned the Rolling Stones. They've been together, what, 60 years? Yes. And Mick Jagger sounds like he did when he was like 27. <laughs> yeah, pretty like, much. <laughs> he's 80 years old. I don't know how he does it. It's incredible. I mean, they're it's still, incredible they're still right. going. And yeah, and, incredible. Uh, I just love I just love the uh him as a front man and, and just their their overall mm -hmm. persona. Just real quick though, you know, yes. I listened to one of your podcasts and uh mm -hmm. you mentioned uh Little Milton, Eddie, Eddie Boyd. Eddie Boyd, yeah. Eddie Boyd. Eddie Boyd. And uh, they did some uh, recordings at Sun Records. So, you know, here are some of the folks who um, obviously recorded Sun Records. Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis, Roy Orbison, Ike Turner. Wow. Root and uh, Ruth. Uh, yeah, that's it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Wow. So they just had.
it's amazing how all the different, you know, rock, country, all. That's right. Got to be at Sun Records. It's quite extraordinary. Yes. yes. And, uh, it's quite a place to check out, too, if you're ever in Memphis. Yeah. A friend of mine, he um, he told me that he went to to visit Sun Records. He loved, that was his highlight. He loved it to death. So it's unbelievable. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He said it is unbelievable. You say you just you're standing where Elvis stood or Johnny. Cash. That's right. It's it's incredible when you go down. Yeah. 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 It's like when people go to the Motown, um, Motown, the museum. And they're standing in the studio where all those groups recorded. Mm-hmm. You know, that is that's one of one of the trips I want to make. I want to go to um the Motown Museum. Um, and you see that they did this out of a house. It's incredible. <laughs> you know, they turned the house into a studio. You know what I'm saying? So we could go on and on about Motown yeah. and things that's like right. that. But one other thing, yes, uh, another one was Betty Wright. She yeah. had, uh, you had talked about her on one of your podcasts and the influences mm-hmm. for her were that she had influence on Beyonce, Gloria Estefan, Jennifer Lopez, Florida, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, and the one and only Shaka Khan. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know what? She was loved by all of them. In fact, especially with Gloria Estefan, she worked a lot with Gloria Estefan. She, she helped her with vocals. She even did backup vocals. Mm. for her and the thing about Betty Wright she also had an influence on hip hop artists as well and um especially like Little Wayne um you know she she had an influence cuz you know Betty Wright started in this industry like when she was like 13 14 years old you know singing and stuff but her influence is felt you know when she worked with Angie Stone they collaborated together Bet- Betty Wright collaborated with the Roots you know what I'm saying? And, you know, Betty Wright also produced her own. I think she was one of the first Black women to produce her own record. And I believe she got a Grammy Award for that. Mm. Um, you know, so she's always been like an independent artist. She learned how to, she learned the music industry well enough to produce her own music, you know. And and on top of that, she has a, a catalog of work that that is something to look at. I really love about your podcast is you have like the artists like give the name of the podcast. I find that to be pretty cool. <laughs> I love that. So how did that work out? I like that. Well, I love well, that. What you, what you do is you know you you have to you know you ask them for a drop. You know what I'm saying? And they give you a drop, and they'll That's they'll awesome. put you know, and yeah. um, you know they they you know this is a vote. You know, usually you'll you'll add even the them directly, um, like Chris Jasper. Um, which I love Chris Jasper because Chris Jasper um, became a member of the Isley Brothers in the early uh, early 70s. And he helped to craft the Isley Brothers sound going into the 70s, into the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, so he is much as uh, credited with the Isley Brothers sound as the Isley Brothers. So I had asked him because I played a couple of his records. I always play Chris, Chris records. And he gave me a drop. <laughs> you know, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, you know. So that's, that's awesome. what I do. I reach out to them because you know I want to let them know, show them some love. You know that I'm playing their music and stuff, and you know and I ask for a drop. So that's cool. So talk about your podcast again. How, how often do you drop an episode, and uh, where can okay. you find your podcast and uh, all that good stuff? Well, you can find uh, my podcast at abolasoul.com. I usually drop a podcast every every Friday. 
um, either Friday or Saturday. Um, usually you'll see it uploaded. Um, you can get alerts um, to um, get the podcast. It, it is on, like you said, Apple Podcasts. Um, it's also on Spotify. <clears throat> it's also on iHeartRadio. Um, it's also on Deezer, mm-hmm. Deezer.com. But you can go to the website EbolaSoul.com. Um, also, I, um, I have a radio network that's on Live 365. Um, it's called the Bola Soul Mixed to a Soul Music Radio Network. And I decided I wanted to go another level and have the radio network um, as well, um, where it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I have shows that run from uh, Sunday to Saturday. And I have a blues music. You can hear blues on Saturday at 12 uh, with Jay Boogie, who is um, from Mississippi. And he plays like the latest hot Southern, new Southern soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm glad that it's catching on again, like the old days is catching on again. Um, and I also have smooth jazz because I'm a big smooth jazz buff too um, on Sundays at 6 p.m. And um, I also have another R&B show, which is like um, he plays new R&B, plus he's an R&B artist. Ashley Scotty has a show on there. Hmm. And also have um, slow jams, heavy storm, quiet storm with Melvin Jordan that comes on Wednesdays at 7 and um, Al C. Forth, he does jazz and soul on Tuesdays um, at seven o'clock. So, and then also I put my show on on Sundays and Friday, Friday at five. And then on Sunday, I'll put something on at 4.30 as well. And I play gospel as well. So, you know, I'm doing, which I love because people are, you know, listening. They're tuning in, which I love, you know, in regards to that. And, um, you know, I think it's a great thing. I'm getting ready to put a, another gentleman on my show where he does comedy and talk and music, you know, like a morning type thing, you know, for Monday, Wednesdays and um, Friday, BJ Murphy, he has a show. So that's what I'm doing. And, and in the meantime, also you can follow me on, um, you can follow me on Twitter at a bowl of soul. They call it X now. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) You can follow me on, on Instagram, PROF at PROF T love. I also have a, a Facebook page called Ebola Soul, a mixed stew of soul music, yeah. you know, so that's Absolutely. what I do there. <laughs> one, one thing I really love about the podcast is you, you play the music and you give some historical perspective, you give some, you know, information that you can learn something new about an artist or mm-hmm. a group. And I would, that's what I really like. I'm all about nostalgia and learning new things about different people and different yeah. groups and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you're always going to learn something new on your podcast. So it, the podcast is a bowl of soul, a mixed stew of soul music. Professor T. Love has joined me. And Professor, I hope you would come on again to talk more music because we could probably talk another six hours. Well, you you got that right, man, because there's, there's, so, there's so much music out here that is it's unbelievable. They, they, you know, they got this new thing for R&B, alternative R&B, which I am exploring that, too. You know, that's something new. Well, well <laughs> you, you know, know you mentioned, and... you, mentioned uh, you mentioned like the, the back in the 80s, it was just like pop, rock, heavy metal, rap, um, adult contemporary. And now, like, if I go to my mm-hmm. Apple phone, there's like 50 genres, 50 different characteristics of music. So it's really grown. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. with music these days, um, again, you, we can put it on our phone. We can listen to it, and we can we can program right. our own radio station if we want. And that's what makes the beauty yes. of it. So, but uh, that's right, Professor T. Love. I really appreciate uh, your time tonight joining me. I really enjoyed it. 
I, I, listen, I had a great time talking with you. I'm glad I'm talking to a fellow Memphis, Tennessee <laughs> resident. You know what I'm saying? And got some places I need to see down in Memphis yes. and, and check out. Looking forward to that. Okay. Well, very good. Well, thank you.